I'm going to call uh, Ron uh, Dietering up real quick. He has something on his heart he just wants to share here. Morning. Uh, as many of you may know, my, my father passed away yesterday, and uh, I just wanted to thank you um, for your prayers and everything. And uh, I, the Lord just laid on my heart, I really wanted to encourage others. Um, we're, we're given opportunities to share with others, you know, family members and, and uh, you know, about God's salvation, his goodness, his love. I just want to encourage you guys, take the opportunities while you have them. I know there's, you know, people with strained relations with family members and uh, just, you just never know when that time comes. So I just want to encourage the body. And, and again, thank you for the prayers and, and uh, just uh, thank you for continued prayers for my, my mom and, and the family. I was just uh, talking to someone at the 8.30 service this morning, and the verse that came up was how uh, today is the day of salvation. And so often we have a tendency to always think that we have tomorrow, and tomorrow is not promised to us in any way whatsoever. And I know that was something that Ron was heavy on his heart, and we just wanted to share that, and that always remember today is that day of salvation and that importance of that. So. Let's just pray here real quick, Lord, as we get ready to start. We just pray you would teach, we would listen. Lord, we all have unsaved friends and loved ones. I just pray that you would open up doors to be able to speak to them the truth of Christ. I pray their heart is softened and ready to hear what you have to say. We just lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Luke 5 today. Luke 5, we're going to be finishing up chapter 5. Lord willing, time willing, get into uh, beginning of chapter 6. Two topics this morning, fasting and the Sabbath. Not too often do you get a chance to teach on or hear teachings on fasting and the Sabbath. Now, it's kind of important, that's the beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible, is you sometimes get to cover some of these things. Because the thing about fasting is, it's one of the most powerful weapons and tools that God has given us. And it's one of those things that, well, we'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself here already. Let's read verses 33 through 39, get the context of what Jesus was saying here, and then we'll go back and we'll break it down a little bit. Verse 33, they said, Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees? But yours eat and drink. And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a place, excuse me, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the one that the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for they say the old is better. Let's just talk about this a little bit. Fasting back during New Testament times was quite the dramatic ordeal. When people would fast back during New Testament times, they did it quite publicly. They wanted everybody to see it. They wanted everybody to know it. And that was a big deal to them. So... What happened is everybody knew when people fasted because they would make a big deal out of it. We'll get to that in a second. But they noticed that the disciples of Jesus did not fast. So you made a big deal about fasting because it also made you look good. It made you look spiritual. It made you look important. Jesus' disciples aren't fasting. What's wrong with them? Aren't they spiritual? So they come to Jesus and they ask him. Jesus has this great comment in verse 34. When you're with the bridegroom, you don't fast. Bridegroom that takes it back to the picture of the wedding, the wedding reception. That idea of the bridegroom being there, this idea of a party and joyous occasion. Jesus is saying there's no reason to be fasting now because I am here. Enjoy me, the presence of Christ on earth. This is not the time to fast, verse 35. When I leave, 
is the time to fast. Now, this was a difficult concept for them to understand. This was a new concept to them. And so Jesus then goes right into verses 36 and 39, and he says, you guys don't understand the new. See, Jesus is the new, and they don't get it. There's three examples here of Jesus being the new that he tries to tell them, the first one in verse 36. You don't take an old piece of garment and try to patch it up is what he's saying. That's the first one. You don't put a patch on this old garment. It doesn't look right. It doesn't work. Next one, verse 37, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. When you put the new wine in, the wine would ferment and bubble. It would burst the old wineskin. And then what you have here at the end in verse 39 is everybody says the old wine tastes better than the new wine. What they're really saying is the picture as Jesus is trying to say goes, I'm new. I'm bringing something new here. I'm bringing grace. I'm bringing salvation. The old system of the Pharisees and Sadducees, you can't handle this. You don't like this. Just like the patch on the garment, just like the new wine and the old wineskins, and just like the old wine that you say is better, you're not willing to accept as what I say is being new. They don't want to hear it. Same thing happens today spiritually. I am not picking on anything, and I don't want to make that abundantly clear, but if any of you came out of a church that has a hard time accepting sometimes something new, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I remember a church I used to go to. There was a pastor that came in when I was a teenager, and he brought new wine into the church. church didn't really handle it all that well. They didn't like the new ideas. They didn't like the new movement of things. And so therefore, what happened? The new wine had to leave because we're going to keep to the old ways. Now, does that happen still today? You bet it does. I just had a situation a few years ago where there was a gal from the community, the local church, called me up and said, hey, I really want to make some changes in, in the church. She was the head of a ministry. And she said, I, I see how you guys do something out there at Harvest. Can you kind of fill me in how you did it? So I explained it to her. And we went through step by step. She goes, okay, I'm going to take this back to the board. I'm going to take this back to the pastor and, and see what they say. And I really felt led. I said, hey, listen. I said, I'm not trying to preach here, but I took her to this passage. I said, you know what, I appreciate your heart and your willingness to want to see things change. But the truth of the matter is, it's really difficult to put new wine in old skins. And I'm not saying that to pick on any group. I'm not saying that to pick on any church specifically. But what happens is, if you can't be open to the moving of the Spirit, if you can't be open to God wanting to do something that maybe hasn't been done before, we'll become stagnant, we'll become dry. Sometimes people come up and say, how can we pray for harvest? And one of the things I say is, pray that we never get so established in our ways that we can't accept something new. Because if you get so established that this is the way we've always done it, for 30 years we've always done it this way, my goodness, what happens if the Lord wants to do something a little different? Well, he can't. That's the way we've always done it. Well, this is what Jesus is talking about. Sometimes old wineskins can't accept something new. So, verse 36, you can't patch Jesus in. Some churches, some people try to do that. We'll just keep everything the same, but we'll throw a little bit of Jesus in it, and everybody will be happy. It doesn't work. You can't patch Jesus in. Or verse 37, we're going to keep the old system, but we're going to pour brand new stuff into it. It doesn't really work. Eventually, what you have is verse 39. People just say, I like the old better. Churches are dying spiritually because they're not allowing the new wine of what Christ wants to do and the Spirit wants to do into it. They're dying. Now, that doesn't make us any better. Because you know why? 10, 15, 20 years, we could be in the exact same spot if we ever become cold to listening to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We need to make sure as individuals and as a church, we're always open to what God has in store. And sometimes he wants to do something well, it goes against the norm a little bit, and we have to be open to the moving of the Spirit. That's the blessing of that. Now, that's the context of that, but he mentions fasting. Boy, fasting is one of those topics that just doesn't get talked about a lot. Fasting, it's an amazing thing. Fasting is one of the most powerful tools that God has given you in your walk with Christ. And I say this not to pick on you or to attack you, don't take it that way, but just a simple question. When's the last time you fasted over something? Because it is such a powerful tool that God gives us, we should be using it on a regular basis. Well, first off, what is 
fasting. Fasting is when you turn away from a fleshly desire to focus on a spiritual desire. It's time spent feeding the spirit rather than spent feeding the flesh. Very simply put, I choose to let go of my uh, Honey Nut Cheerios in the morning, and I choose to spend that time in prayer in the Word. I choose to let go of a fleshly desire to focus on a spiritual desire. Turn it with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. Let's talk about this for a little bit. Matthew 6. We're going to talk about what fasting is, then we're going to talk about why would we do it. So first thing, let's talk about what it is. Matthew chapter 6. It's letting go of a physical desire to focus on the spiritual. It's where you stop feeding the flesh and you feed the spirit instead. Matthew chapter 6. Let's see what Jesus has to say here about fasting. Matthew 6, verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, note, second time he said that, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This is a private thing between you and the Lord. I'm not saying you can't have public fasts, but you've got to be careful that you're not doing it for public attention. Years ago, there was an individual out here at church, no longer attends here, but this man was really strong into fasting. You know how I knew he was really strong into fasting? Because he told me every single time when he was really strong into fasting. Now, I don't mind people coming up and saying, hey, I'm really fasting over that. Amen, I'll pray for you. But when you're doing it for the attention of man, See, that's what they were doing back during the New Testament. They would disfigure themselves to look pale and down. So people would come up and say, boy, you don't look good. What's going on? Oh, I've been fasting. Boy, you're spiritual. You're deep. I know. I'm falling apart physically because I'm focusing so much on Christ. I mean, that's what they were doing. Is they wanted that attention. So Jesus is coming in here, new wine, and throwing something totally new at them. Don't do it for attention. Do it because you just want to go deeper with your walk in relationship with the Lord. Fasting is a powerful thing. It really is. I've always taken fasting seriously, and I have to share this story with you. Because the first time that I ever fasted as a believer, i got to share this. We were doing a Friday night study at our house, and it was a very eclectic group of people. We had numerous people from numerous spiritual backgrounds. And we had this one guy that came that was really into fasting. Really into fasting. So it was a Friday night. We're done with the study. And he says, hey, we're calling for a fast tomorrow. I don't even remember what we were fasting about, but we're calling for a fast tomorrow. And he goes, who's in? Well, I thought as the head of the Bible study, I need to be spiritual. Don and I are in. I don't even remember what we're fasting about, but we're fasting. Didn't feel led, just felt like we should do it. So we got up on Saturday, and we fasted over breakfast. Things went well. We both worked second shift at the same place, so we had to work that Saturday afternoon, and we had to go to Wauseon for something. So we ran to Wauseon, and we're in Wauseon. We're right down that little restaurant alley right around lunchtime, and there was the smell of grease. Grease smells so good. I think heaven will smell like grease. And so we get up there, and we had already fasted over breakfast. So Dawn and I are like, oh, we should eat. No, we're not going to eat. We said we'd fast. And then we had this conversation of, oh, we really don't really feel led to fast. We just said we were going to. We already fasted over breakfast. So we went and ate lunch. And I, I promise you, I'm not exaggerating. I have never gotten so sick so quick. And I'm not saying that the Lord allowed it, but I'm also saying there's no coincidences in Christianity. Ever since that day... I have taken fasting very seriously, where if the Lord lays it on my heart to fast, I want to fast, not only to please the Lord, but I don't want to get sick again. So it's important. It's important to do that. And when the Lord lays it on your heart, it's a powerful tool that God gives you. Now the question comes up of, why would I do this? This goes against everything natural. As soon as we wake up in the morning, my, my, four, excuse me, my fourth son, who's two, his first words are every morning, Dad, can I have cereal? 
That's his first words. There are certain people who their body is run by clockwork with meals. And so this idea of taking a meal off, or maybe a couple meals, or a day, or a couple days, it goes against everything you think about physically. Why would we do it? You've got to remember, the purpose of fasting is not to get something from God. God, look what I did. I went without breakfast, lunch, and supper. You have to answer my prayer now. That's not the purpose of fasting. The purpose of fasting is not to say, Lord, look how I starved myself. So now you have to say yes. The purpose of fasting is to say, this situation I'm going through is so important, so big, I'm actually going to let go of a physical desire to focus on the spiritual. I'm going to discipline myself spiritually by ignoring the physical. And until you sit down to fast, you don't realize how difficult that really is. It is tough to say no to food. So why would we do it? Real quick, if you're taking notes, there's six different reasons in the New Testament of why fast. We're just going to spend a brief second on each one. First one, Psalm 35. Psalm 35. David fasted because he was going through tough times. Maybe your season of life right now is horribly difficult. The world is falling apart around you and crashing. Maybe you need to spend some time in fasting. That time with the Word, that time with God in prayer, where you're letting go of focusing on the physical world falling apart, and you just say, Lord, strengthen me, encourage me, help me. Tough times. Next one, repentance. In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah was so overwrought with the sin of Israel, he spent time in fasting. Maybe spiritually, you look at your life and you say, what happened? I'm a train wreck spiritually. This is not where I'm supposed to be. Maybe you need to spend a day or a meal in fasting to say, Lord, I'm recommitting my life back to you in all ways. Next one, in Acts 14, the church fasted for vision. Maybe you feel like, Lord, there's something out there, something bigger that you want us to do, and, and we're not seeing what that is, so I'm going to spend a meal or a day or two in fasting to really just focus in prayer and in your word on what you have in store for us. Here's one that we don't use much, marriage. According to 1 Corinthians 7, that you can fast for your marriage. One of the things I tell people in marriage counseling is, hey, listen, have you fasted for your marriage? Maybe your spouse is not saved. Maybe your spouse is not where they're supposed to be spiritually. Maybe your marriage is just dull and dry and you're missing out on something. Fast. Fast for your marriage. Now here's the ones that I think we use the most. These are the ones I use. Daniel 9. Daniel fasted for wisdom. Maybe you have a huge decision coming up, and yeah, you've been praying about it, but you feel like you just need that more. Spend that time in fasting. You let go of a meal or two, let go of a couple meals during the day, etc. And you say, Lord, I'm just going to spend this time in prayer seeking wisdom on what you want us to do. And the last one here, turn if you go to Matthew 17. This is one that we want to look at. Matthew 17. This is a fasting of preparation. Matthew 17. So, fasting over tough times, fasting repentance, fasting for vision, fasting for your marriage, fasting for wisdom. This is a fasting of preparation. Matthew 17. Uh, verse 14 of Matthew 17. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they cannot cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now some of your translations in verse 21 don't have that exact same verse, but this is a verse that's repeated in numerous Gospels. Is that idea of some only come out by prayer and fasting. The importance of fasting, a preparation. Now, if you look at this situation, how would they have known that? 
You know, the, the, the dad comes, he's got this son that's demon-possessed, and says, hey, my son's demon-possessed, can you cast out the demon? Okay, we pray, it doesn't work. Oh, this demon only comes out by prayer and fasting. Hey, come back tomorrow at 5 o'clock, we'll fast over breakfast, we'll fast over lunch, we'll cast him out at 5 and we'll go grab supper together because we'll be hungry. It doesn't work that way. This is a preparation fast. This is where you're fasting, not because you have tough times, sin, marriage, wisdom. You're just fasting to spend time with the Lord because you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so you're just preparing yourself spiritually for whatever God has in store. You just spend time in the Lord. I had a situation a few weeks ago. I had a very important meeting coming up. And it was one of those meetings where it's either going to go really good or it's going to go really bad. There really was not a middle ground. I had no idea how the meeting was going to go, so I spent some time in fasting before the meeting and just said, Lord, I am preparing for whatever comes. I don't know. Thank the Lord everything went well. But this is a fasting of preparation where you may just take, and I know people that do this, one meal a week, maybe one day a week, and they just fast to be with the Lord. I know families that have suggested, parents, fast one meal a week over your kids. Just one meal a week. Just to pray for your children. You know, that's what the purpose of fasting is. Once again, it's not to say, Lord, look at me. I'm willing to let go of that cheeseburger. Now you have to answer my prayer. It's, Lord, I'm spending this time with you because I realize the spiritual growth in my life is more important than the physical growth in my body. And I want to spend that time with you. Fasting, a powerful tool that God gives us in the New Testament. Powerful tool. So that's the fasting. Now let's just jump right into the other subject here. Sabbath. Verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those who were with him, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And Jesus said to him, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored, as all whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. The Sabbath. Now, real quick, the Sabbath is actually sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. The Sabbath is not Sunday. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Now, God has told us to honor the Sabbath. That's one of the big ten. Now, what happened is, what were these disciples doing wrong? Well, they ran through the wheat field, and as they're going through the wheat field, they picked up a head of wheat. And, you know, you grow up on a farm, you do this all the time. You take a head of wheat, you put it in your hands, you rub it together, get rid of all the chaff, you got the grain left, you throw it in your mouth. That's what they were doing. problem is the Pharisees said, you know what you guys just did? You just harvested grain. That's what they called it, it was harvesting grain. Now, they just took one head of wheat, rubbed it together, ate the seeds. Well, that's against the rules. You can't do that. It was also against the rules. You couldn't do anything medical on the Sabbath either. Jesus did something medical. He healed somebody. Those are big no-nos. You can't do that. Now, Jesus' response back to this, well, first off, he says in verse 5, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> I'm the one that created the Sabbath. So therefore, I should be able to determine things. But he gives this example in verses 3 and 4 of David eating the showbread. Now, real quick background to this. David was anointed king over Israel, but Saul was still king. Saul didn't like the competition of David, so Saul tried to kill David. So David is on the run. David's on the run, and he runs to the temple, 
And he runs to the temple to get the sword of Goliath uh, that he needs. Well, as he runs to go do it, his men are hungry. And so he asks the priest, hey, do you have anything to eat? And the priests say, the only thing we have left are the showbread. Showbread were the loaves of bread that were in the temple that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The only people allowed to eat the showbread were the priests. That's the only people. So David says, hey, my guys are hungry. Do you have anything to eat? The priest says, only we have the showbread. And guess what the priest allowed David to do? He ate the showbread. Now, that's a big no. He broke the rules. See, here's the thing. Jesus said it was okay. It's okay to break the rules sometime. Aren't you thankful it's okay to break the rules? Now, it depends on what personality you are, because in, in Christianity, there's usually two personalities, grace and rules. And they're like oil and water. They don't mix real well. I live in a family, and I've shared this with you before. My wife is a rules. My firstborn is a rules. My fourthborn is a rules. If someone breaks a rule at our house, I have three people telling us that that rule has been broken. It is no joy at the Irvin house. If you've ever lived with a rules person, it sucks the joy right out of your life. Especially if you're a grace guy. I'm a grace guy. Let's let it go. We can't let it go. The rule says we can't do it. Well, let's just let it go. See, aren't you glad Jesus breaks some rules? Last week, we talked about Jesus healing a leper. What did Jesus do? He touched the leper. Guess what he did? He broke the rule. He's grace. Do you realize the woman caught in adultery? The law says, the rule says, stone her. Jesus is a grace guy. Aren't you thankful Jesus is a grace guy? See, sometimes we're law people. I drive 55. If someone passes me going 70, I pray they get pulled over. Because at that point, I'm a law guy. Now, if I see flashing lights behind me, I all of a sudden become a grace guy. Because I want grace. So what happens is law and grace. And what we have a tendency to do, and, and, and Dawn and I talk about this at home, is I'll make a comment about something, and she's law, I'm grace. And so what happens, I say, hey, David ate the showbread. Grace. She told me a few years ago, she goes, I hate it when you tell me David ate the showbread. We even say that out here at church sometimes, amongst the staff. There'll be a situation going on, and we don't have a whole lot of rules out here at church. We're pretty laid back. But every now and then we have some rules, and like, okay, the situation popped up. It's a unique situation. <sighs> you know what? And we'll say, David ate the showbread. It's against the rules, but he ate the showbread. Jesus touched the leopard. A burr, not leopard. I, I, don't, I don't know what book of the Bible that's in. That, that must be in James 2. Um, Jesus touched the leper, broke the rules. I'm thankful for that. Now, does this mean that rules were made to be broken? No, come on. The purpose of this teaching and the purpose of this context is not we can throw all the rules and regulations of the Bible out because now it's grace. No, that's not what we're saying. And these situations, the greater good was the spiritual healing the man. The greater good in this situation was David's men needed food. That's the greater good. Jesus will always focus on the greater spiritual good. Aren't you thankful for that? The woman caught in adultery, can you imagine if the passage said Jesus picked up the first stone and threw it? Oh my, grace. Can you imagine if the leper came up to Jesus and said, I need to be healed? And Jesus said, I'm sorry, law says I can't get near you. He touched the leper. He sent the woman in adultery out. Grace. Grace is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And even law people sometimes become grace people. A few weeks ago, we had a situation with Layden, who's two, had a rough night the night before, had no nap that day. About 7 o'clock, he was horrendous. Horrendous. And so I'm taking him into his room because he's so bad, he needs to be disciplined. And my wife, who's law, taps me on the shoulder and says, how about some grace? Grace is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And what you see here with Jesus there's grace in the showbread. There's grace with the man that we see here of arise and stand. You know, there's grace with the withered hand. I'm thankful for that because really if you look at it in verses 6 through 11, 
I'm the guy with the weathered hand. I, I, I'm incapable of doing things. My sin has so withered me up. I, I just need Jesus to tell me I'm okay. That's a beautiful thing. I'm sometimes David in the showbread. I'm on the run. I feel like the world's against me. And Lord, I just need something. I need some encouragement. I need some good news. Have a bite of showbread. Grace. It's a beautiful thing. So what you see here is Jesus is a man of grace, and I'm thankful for that. But the Sabbath, this is an interesting concept because this pops up a lot. And I run into people that still like, hey, you can't do anything on Sunday. And you know, you've heard me say this before. Aren't you glad that certain people work on Sunday? I'm working on Sunday. Some of you are going to go out to eat today. Aren't you glad your waitress works on Sunday? Aren't you glad the Walmart cashier works on Sunday? Pastor Rich, Pastor Rich couldn't be at church here today because we had a, a, a very young child uh, getting a heart catheterization done up in Toledo this morning. Aren't you glad doctors and nurses work on Sunday? What is the Sabbath? And the Sabbath, technically, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. But really what the Sabbath is, is God saying that you, as a human, need a day of rest. And he says in verse 5, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, of the Ten Commandments... Honoring the Sabbath is the only commandment not repeated in the New Testament. In fact, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, he goes, Let no one judge you according to Sabbaths. There are certain groups and certain denominations out there that feel very strongly about the Sabbath. And if that's how they feel, that's their choice and their walk with the Lord. But don't take your personal conviction and judge me on that. Everybody needs that Sabbath. In fact, God came out and said in Mark chapter 2 that the Sabbath was created man. This idea if he says, you need a rest. I know people that work hard, and I respect that, but they work so hard that they lose their wife, they lose their family. Sometimes God says, you need to step back, take a rest physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Oh, but I got so much to do. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth saying you have so much to do that you lose family time, that your kids grow up in front of you, that your spouse becomes cold and indifferent because you got so much to do. The purpose of the Sabbath is to take a break, take a rest, and spend that time with the Lord. You know, that's something that we try to do at our family. As, as some of you know, obviously, my, my Sabbath is I take Fridays as a family day. And usually Thursday evening and into Friday. And we, and we do a big family thing. Thursday evening at the Irvin House, we call it Candy Night Movie Night. We watch a movie, we eat candy. Friday, the boys get a chance to sleep on the couch, and we sleep on the couch together. So Thursday evening into Friday is my family day. And, and I shut my phone off. Not because I'm hiding from you guys. Not because I don't want to be around from you guys. I love you guys. But I realize the biblical mandate, my family needs that day to say, let's just be a family. Let's go do family things. Let's, let's just do stuff. And what a blessing that is. Uh, you know, a few years ago, as things were getting kind of busy out here at church, Dawn came up and said, hey, listen, I know you work... Oh, you know, six days a week, but she goes, but can, can we try to do a weekend? You know, just every now and then have a couple of days off in a row as a weekend. And so once a month, I take an extra Thursday off. And so we have like a Thursday, Friday to have a quote unquote weekend with the family. And for example, we're going to be doing that this Thursday. Judah's going to turn, uh, he's going to have his birthday party on Thursday. So that's, that's family day. We have two family days in a row. And you know what? We look forward to it. Not in the sense of getting away from the church, because we're never away from the church. You guys know where we're at. You know where we live. But we just like the family. That Sabbath is a blessing. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say here, is the Sabbath is where you take that break. Obviously, for most people that work Monday through Friday, Sunday's a pretty good Sabbath. But if you got to work, you never know what your Sabbath day is going to be. You may have a schedule where you work three days, day off, four days, day off, then your Sabbath always changes. For example, I had a uh, wedding I did um, this week, and so rehearsal was Thursday, wedding was Friday, so I took Tuesday this week as a family day. So my Sabbath was Tuesday. Hey, 
family enjoyed it. We had fun. And, you know, and that's what God is trying to say here, is what happened is the Pharisees and the Sadducees took the Sabbath thing, and they took all the joy out of it. Jesus said, I created the Sabbath for you to be that day of rest, to be that day that you could have as a family, to be that day to regroup. Now listen, you, you may think that you're a man's man or you're the strong woman because you work and work and work and work. I appreciate your work ethic. But God who created you, said, you know what? One day a week, just take a break. Your family will respect that. Your family will like that. Your family will be blessed by that. And you know what? You'll feel better about that. It's a blessing that God created for us. What a loving God where he says, I'll make the week seven days, but one day I'll say, just relax. What a beautiful thing that is. And if you study out the Old Testament, it's even better. They had a Sabbath year. You know, they, they had this where every seventh year, God says, take the year off. Paid vacation. What a blessing that is. That's a God of love and grace. So anytime I see somebody coming in and they just feel overwhelmed, overwrought, the, the world is falling apart, their head is going in 50 different directions, when's the last time you enjoyed a Sabbath? That's what God created for you to give you rest. Why well, can't? I have so much going on. Now listen, sometimes there are seasons of life where you can't, and that even happens out here at church. There's times where there's so much stuff going on where it's like, you know what, the, the Sabbath doesn't work out for this week. We'll try to catch up next week. I understand there's seasons of life. But if your life is one continued long season where you can't take a break, you really need to stop and look and evaluate your priorities. Let God bless you with a day of rest. And aren't you thankful? He's grace. He'll touch the lepers. He'll let us eat the showbread. What a beautiful picture that is and a wonderful thing is. Callie and Marv, we can come forward here for the final song. just want to encourage you. 